Good evening and welcome to episode 378 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamadongwa Kumalo. It's the Friday edition of the Private Property Podcast. If you join us for the first time, welcome to the show. Uh, you're certainly tuned in to the best daily property podcast and the only daily property show in South Africa, helping you navigate your property journey. And to all our regular viewers at home, whether you're watching us on Facebook, on Instagram, or on YouTube, welcome to it. You know how we do. Every single weekday, you and I have an appointment at 7 p.m. where I'm always in conversation with a property expert who helps us make better property decisions. It doesn't matter where in your property journey you are, we're certainly here to make it better and make sure that you get all the facts, all the knowledge that you need uh, to help you make those decisions. It's a Friday and I think one of the great things about this Friday is what you can look forward to of course is later on in the show we'll be announcing the lucky winner uh, that stands a chance of walking away with a thousand rands in cash. We are running that competition on our Facebook page where you stand a chance of walking away with 500 rands in cash every single weekday live right here on the show and all you have to do to stand a chance of walking away with that cash is to firstly make sure you go to our Facebook page and comment on our pinned post and if we call your name out during the show you have to drop us a message in order to claim your prize yesterday's winner unfortunately did not uh, drop us a message so we've got a thousand rands in the money bag and i'm looking forward to see who the lucky winner is this evening and i hope that they're watching and can start the weekend with a thousand rands in their pocket and other things you can look forward to every single weekday at 8 p.m. Great shows right here on Private Property. It's a Friday. You can look forward to Chad bringing you the Home Shoppers show. And that also is on your screens every Monday at the same time. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, Mbalino God brings you the farming podcast tackling all things agriculture and something that you can obviously look forward to. And on Wednesdays, Esther Klassen brings you the first time home buyer show. She's always in conversation with people who've not only walked that first time home buying journey, but have gone on to grow their property portfolios from strength to strength. Well, those are the great shows you can look forward to every single weekday at 8 p.m. right here on Private Property's social media platforms. And of course, as myself, as I'm Kumalo, every weekday at 7 p.m. on your screens, always talking to a property expert uh, and, of course, helping you make better property decisions at home. And we're doing exactly that this evening um, as we're going to be looking at inclusive design in the built environment. If you don't know what inclusive design is, we're going to start exactly there. What is it? What do we mean by it? Um, and how, uh, you know, how is it an important part of you know, designing and certainly doing work within the built environment? Why is it so important? Uh, and this evening to help us get a good sense of inclusive design in the built environment, I'm joined by Kim Furban, who is an architect. Kim, good evening and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hello, Zama. Thanks for welcoming me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, especially you joining us for the first time. Uh, I know you and I are going to have such a great conversation. Now, Kim, I think the, the, the first starting point is you know, what is inclusive design? When we talk inclusive design, uh, what exactly do we mean? Well, in, in my understanding of inclusive design, it really uh, falls into two categories. Um, the first category 
being the buildings themselves. And then the second category, which is much larger, has to do with large master plans, cities, and, and so on. And uh, in, in the first category, in buildings themselves, inclusive design, um, which is actually also known as universal design principles, um, providing universality to access uh, to the functions of a building and the usages of buildings. And fundamentally, for, for both of those categories, whether, whether it be at an ergonomic scale or whether it be at a large scale, really the principle behind it has to do with compassion and empathy towards users, whether they're sentient beings or not. So how do users experience the, the space? How do users um, navigate those spaces? And, and what facilities do those users need to gain universal access? And, and you know, Kim, when, when we then look at um, sort of inclusive design within the built environment uh, and given, you know, the explanation that you've given us in terms of what it is, uh, sort of putting the user first and really trying to get a good sense of how the user is going to be experiencing this, perhaps paint a picture for us what it looks like. Right. So when uh, whether it's architects uh, or different professionals within the, the um, built environment say that they're they're making decisions or certainly building uh, whatever the building is or if it's a you know a mega project with inclusive designs sort of at the core of it. What does that effectively look like? I think for those at home who still don't quite get a picture of then uh, we'll say design that is inclusive and that. That in design that effectively wouldn't be inclusive. Okay, so um, I could give you a number of examples, but I'm working on a project for a client at the moment, um, and the, the client is fragile, physically fragile. And what they, for example, they cannot get into a bath. So what I'm doing is I'm designing a bath in a in, an, in a form which is like a helix. And so that the person in, in the, can get into, obviously is in his wheelchair and go down a ramp in a helix, fill the bath up, be bathed and or wash himself. And there's a shower overhead um, and it captures all the water. So fundamentally it's providing facilities which, which create um, equal opportunity, equitable opportunity to function in a way um, that us as um, able-bodied people take for granted. And really that's, that example I think is the nub of, of what inclusive design is about. And, and, and I like that example, um, Kim, because I think it speaks to how um, oftentimes, and we've certainly, I mean, I, I, I've seen this before, where with certain projects, um, especially when, uh, I suppose, let's say cities, in, in a city or in, in the big metros, 
And you'll find that, let's say they've unveiled a, a park, for instance, or a space where you know, a significant number of people are going to use it. And sometimes it gets criticized that it's not particularly inclusive, that different kinds of people um, are able to, you know, to access it. And sometimes it could be something as, uh, uh, I almost want to say as basic as making sure that you have a ramp even in public spaces, whether it's a park, for instance, um, and that becomes core to how you design as opposed to it being an afterthought um, and something that you, you know, have to get reminded that it needs to get included. I can see the love that we're getting on our Facebook page. Um, we've got Mary Gold Nyagane sending many, many green hearts. Good evening there, Mary Gold. I hope you're enjoying the show. To Lusimania, also tuned in and watching and sending all that love. And we absolutely love it. Do keep it coming. And, and, and Kim, I think I, I want to then, and we've already started touching on this, the importance of inclusive design. I think when we look at it holistically, whether you're looking at you know, working on somebody's residential project or we're looking at commercial or even industrial projects, why is it so important um, that fundamentally design is inclusive in nature in the built environment? Non-inclusive design is, is symptomatic of prejudice. Mm. And... And it's fundamental to acknowledge that. Um, you know, we're all human. And I, I can't stress this enough, is that what really produces exclusivity in design is really based on prejudice. So once one becomes compassionate and empathetic towards um, Certain, certain lifestyles that people lead, whether they be cultural or whether they be um, physically different, um, they are people, whether they are, and I hesitate to use the word, but I'm going to use it because I don't know a better one, challenged in, in some way, uh, really is, is problematic in exclusivity because we fail to recognize that we are one as an entire global population. And, and this also brings to mind um, the much larger scale uh, inclusivity in design than I've mentioned the first two categories. They could actually fall into one. The, the other one that I, I want to stress is, is really about sustainability, is really about what obligations do we have towards this planet that we are given to live on? And I think once that perspective is taken into account, and once that perspective is really appreciated, um, one can approach a design of any description uh, with sensitivity and, and, and a total sense of inclusivity. Mm -hmm. And I am this evening in conversation with Kim Furburn, who's an architect. We're looking at inclusive design in the built environment. You know what it is, why it's important, and and of course the value that uh, you know design that is fundamentally inclusive uh, certainly brings uh, not only to you know people who get to uh, use whatever it is that's been built, but certainly also um, for you know for businesses. And I think, Kim, that, that actually brings me to my next value around 
how inclusive design expands business value. I mean, I'm now even looking at your, your more corporate, uh, for instance, buildings that I, and I've come across certain corporate buildings where a part of me wonders how, for instance, a differently abled body navigates from whether it's the parking lot uh, to reception. And, and I think I, I always shudder to think how their employees who may be differently abled uh, are able to actually use that particular space. So your question is really relevant. How does it add value? Um, and certainly on the on the corporate side for uh, property developers and investors and so on, they, they've really taken this to heart in, in this country in very many instances. And the programs run by the Green Building Council of South Africa, um, you know, you can get your ratings there, you can do all that sort of thing. And they are noticing a a very strong, a strong appreciation of their asset values as a consequence of being inclusive in their design. Um, about a decade ago, the building codes were changed and those started to really incorporate um, some of the principles which are contained in the constitution of this country, which is, is extremely inclusive. It took quite a while for for those regulations to catch up with the the magnitude of the constitution that that this country has. So, <clears throat> I think from a value perspective, certainly uh, assets which have inclusive design principles in them and adopt the broad range of them uh, are definite. They definitely do have more longevity definitely have more longevity and, and their asset value is greater. Uh, we're about to go to uh, go for a quick break rather this evening on the private property podcast with myself, Uzamanto Mwakumalo, as we are, and, and after the, the break, we're going to continue this conversation on inclusive design in the built environment. Uh, we're going to find out who the lucky winner of the thousand rands that is currently in the money bag. Remember, if you see your name on the screen, we call out your name, you need to drop us a text before the end of the show. That's the only way that you're going to claim the price. Let's have a look at who the potential lucky winner this evening is. And the lucky winner this evening is Kane Leila Radzilani. Uh, Kane Leila Radzilani is the lucky winner of the thousand rands that is in the money bag. And of course, Kane, you have to drop us a message in order to claim that thousand rands. I hope that you are watching and you'll drop us a message to claim that prize. And as we continue our conversation on the private property podcast with myself, I'm Adonwa Kumalo, looking at inclusive design in the built environment. I'm joined by Kim Ferber, who's an architect. And before the break, you know, we explored what uh, uh, inclusive design is and what fundamentally underpins it. Uh, and of course, why it's important and the business value uh, when it comes to inclusive design. Now, Kim, I think one of the other terms that gets used um, is 
is accessible design. So when we when we then look at accessible design, what is the difference, if any, between accessible design and inclusive design? So accessibility is uh, is really ergonomics. Um, ergonomics relates to the, the human form um, relates to the size, reach, um, gait, and and all of those sorts of things, and abilities to navigate those. So from an ergonomic point of view, um, I've often seen, for example, in often in office buildings, um, that there's not there's not a basin on the vanity which is accessible to people of different heights especially children, even if children go into the office space, um, they struggle to wash their hands. And that's really difficult to navigate. Um, so from an ergonomic point of view, one has to consider the range of, of human accessibility um, potential and, and who needs what and, and where they need it. Uh, I guess... From a cultural point of view, um, there are also other things, you know, to provide facilities. I've often had to provide prayer rooms, for example, in, in buildings um, or spaces where, where people can go and just be quiet in, in Zen kind of spaces. So um, I, think, I think ergonomic, er ergonomic design tacks quite strongly onto those sorts of cultural and other mental health issues that people need to, to exercise to make sure that they say, stay sane in this crazy world of ours. And you know, Kim, as you're saying that, I, I was thinking of how in one of the trends in office spaces of, is, of course, even having sleep pods um, so that if people wanted a bit of quiet time and are able to even take you know, a quick nap, that's sometimes incorporated in, in certain uh, you know, offices. And I think the big thing is we went through an era of having, for instance, um, a lot of open spaces in, uh, in, in, in a lot of the offices. And one of the things that we found was that the people who unfortunately weren't, weren't able to work as effectively uh, in those spaces. And so trying to create little pockets of spaces where uh, they can at least sort of go to and be able to work uh, as opposed to only having the option of um, the open space, which is such an important thing that we sometimes take for granted. I mean, I, I used to complain a lot. I, I am not a fan of open space offices, uh, you know, the distraction level, hearing everybody sort of chatter, um, you know, prevented me from being able to adequately do work. So having an office space that uh, had different spaces that you could go, it may not be sort of your permanent desk, but you were able to kind of go into a little pod where you could work uh, solo for a little bit and, and not have, you know, the voices of the office gossip uh, in, in between was always so useful. And in the matter of the vanity, as you were saying that I was actually thinking about how in malls, we often see a lot of this where, you know, moms would usually, you know, come into the restroom with their kids and when it's time for them to wash their hands, they usually can't reach out. They sometimes have to pick them up. And um, there've been a few malls where I've seen these, uh, you know, their bases that are lower um, and I'd say four kids and perhaps even sometimes for differently, you know, abled people, perhaps even wheelchair users. But it, it makes such a huge difference when, uh, you know, little humans are also able to adequately access 
uh, those spaces as much as possible. Taking your questions and comments at home this evening as we look at inclusive design and the built environment, Umata Shingango on Facebook saying, we talk about inclusivity in many aspects of life. Why not in construction? This is good. And that's a big one, right? Because when, when we, I think a lot of people at home, when you think construction, uh, you may not think that inclusivity is something that kind of has to go into uh, the, the thinking process, the decision-making as much as possible. And Kim, I'm, I'm keen to hear then from you, uh, when an architect is uh, you're, you're dealing with your client and you kind of want to incorporate or certainly keep to the core inclusive design, uh, you know, what are some of the, the conversations do you have with your client when you even set up recommendations? Um, and I think particularly for, for corporate clients, because I think it may be slightly easier for, um, for residential clients because you better understand their needs and what they need in their home. Uh, but when you're now looking at corporate clients and uh, perhaps the brief that they had uh, didn't have, we'll say, any inclusive design touch points, how do you then go about you know, raising it, conscientizing it, them to that and adding that? Uh, Sorry, Zama, I think I've lost you a bit there. I'm not sure if I can respond. Is it opportune to respond? I've got a, got a strong signal. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chat anyway. We are going to you know, charge that one in the tech gremlins, uh, having minor tech issues in the background. But we are back here on the Private Property Podcast with myself, Zamandumo Kumala, having a conversation about inclusive design in the built environment with architect Kim Furbin. Uh, Kim, you know, before the break, I was asking about how you go about working with particularly corporate clients and making sure that inclusive design stays at the core of what is going to be the, you know, the end product, whether it's a building or whatever it is that you'd be working with them on. So, yeah, Zanak, the corporates are, are very well conscientized uh, towards inclusive design. So there's, there's, there's never an issue approaching, approaching that. Um, the the issue of approaching these things is is dealt with 
in in a in a very I would say gentle but matter of fact way that these are the issues that that need to be looked at and um, generally what happens is that a little committee is formed and we look at the various ESG requirements that the company might have or the corporate might have and we run through them um, and <clears throat> but what's you know, we were talking about the constitution earlier and everyone, certainly that I speak to and deal with, is aware of, of how, how broad our constitution is. So as a population, we, we generally very well conscientized towards inclusivity. Um, the, the idea um, which I like a lot is now getting towards more radical inclusivity. So for example, I like talking to corporates about issues that may occur on site. And, you know, how is it that we are going to accommodate those people who work on site um, during their lunch hour, during their tea breaks, etc., etc.? What facilities are we providing? How do we, how do we make the experience of working on a site for a year or two, whatever the case may be, more inclusive and a much better experience for those people who are in fact building the building. And, and that's an avenue which I chase quite hard now. And I think that's such a huge thing to always you know, be mindful of. And as we slowly wrap up the show, five more minutes. Kane Leila Radzilane, uh, you have five more minutes to drop us a text down below. I know that you haven't uh, texted us to claim your prize. So if you want to walk away with that, thousand rands to kickstart your weekend make sure that you drop us a message now kim when we talk about inclusive design uh you know what are the areas of uh your design does it you know touch on i think one of the great things with you know the built environment is that it's fundamentally so broad and more often than not people sometimes don't understand the different ways that the built environment the, the different ways that they interact with the built environment um, just by virtue of even, you know, the roads that we drive on uh, and, and, and the various infrastructures that we, we often use. So what are, what are some of the other... ...sort of design uh, touch points? Does Very important. Design. So, um, you know... A, a point, a point. For example, is what are the surfaces that you're touching? Whether it's with your feet or your hands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, are, are, is is that level of tactility um, gritty enough for you to walk on without slipping? Okay, so so that, that's that's at the sort of really detail end. Um, in in environments, I mean, how biophilic is your environment how many plants are there how how can you relate to nature whilst you're in this rather sterile environment you know i've done a lot of call centers and and things like that and and <clears throat> it's it's sometimes extremely deadly the the environment's not exciting so it's about creating a a, a space where people can really um not feel at home but feel excited and be energized by the space that they're in. Flexibility is, is enormously important to be able to move through those spaces 
and feel that you have a sense of sovereignty in it. Um, that there's ownership of who you are and what you do and how you relate to things. Uh, so from, from those sorts of approaches, right up to big master plans, you know, 15-minute cities, smart cities, how, how are those cities planned? How, how does one navigate them? Can you reach through walking by 15 minutes, get to all the amenities you need to? I live in a particular suburb in, in Johannesburg, and the reason why I live here is because I am 15 minutes away from nearly every single facility that I would ever need, including a train station. Mm -hmm. And I think you know those tend to be such huge considerations for uh, you know for people. And I think one of the the downsides with uh, you know Johannesburg uh, uh, and I guess apartheid special planning is that unfortunately not everybody is able to have um, access to suburbs or areas that give them that kind of ease of you know amenities that are within a fifteen minute uh, drive from where they stay. You know, far too often people often have to. Um, drive or take public transport, which sometimes isn't particularly accessible to access some of those amenities. And I think those are some of the things that still need to be adequately addressed. Uh, and, 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 and in many ways, they slowly are, but we're still quite behind in ensuring that the vast majority of people, particularly even in your, in, in your metros, where you would expect that um, just about everybody who lives in major metros um, will be able to be within close proximity to uh, the things that they need. Kim, b before we wrap up, last question from our side. Uh, what would you say the future of your inclusive design of the built environment uh, looks like for South Africa? You know, what excites you about it when you, you know, think about what is uh, possible for the future and perhaps any potential challenges um, that may come up in the future? Well, I, number one, I, the, the pandemic has certainly brought about a lot of rethinking. And, and I find, I mean, it's been tough. Everyone understands it's been very tough. And I really just encourage all the designers who are out there or anyone who's watching is, is to really ask those questions to their designers and or um, colleagues in the industry and so on, is what does it really mean to now be inclusive? What, what are you going to put in place to make this more inclusive? So from that aspect, um, I think what is going to emerge is a much greater understanding of what Ubuntu actually stands for in this country. Um, and for that, I'm I'm extremely pleased, and I'm and I'm and I'm really looking forward to the to the notion of participating in the future of of, of those events. And Kim, I think that's such a great place to leave this conversation at. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. You're so welcome. Thank you. And that is Kim Furburn, who's an architect, wrapping up the Friday edition 
other private property podcast with myself, Uzamantungwa Kumalo. Unfortunately, Kane Leila Razlane did not claim that money. So we have a rollover, uh, 1,500 rands in the money bag for Monday evening. Remember to watch the show if you know that you've entered the competition. That's the only way that you'll be able to walk away with the cash prize. Well, that's it from myself, Uzamantungwa Kumalo, wrapping up your week. I'll be back on the screens on Monday evening at 7 p.m. You can, of course, look forward to chime in the Home Shoppers show later on this evening. The team and I will be back uh, over the weekend. Uh, and I do hope that you will have a great weekend. And I'll see you on Monday as usual. Hope you're staying home and staying safe.